Graver Group's podcast series, Talk Retail to Me, where we offer insights and realistic advice from experts in the retail and consumer brands industries. If you're new to Parker Avery and this podcast, we are a leading retail and consumer goods consulting firm with over 600 years of collective experience, both as consultants as well as leadership positions in the industry. Our firm uniquely combines deep industry experience with consulting expertise and world-class talent to deliver meaningful results. Our approach allows us to build successful, long-term relationships with some of the most recognizable retail and consumer brands in the world. If you're interested in learning more about the Parker Avery Group, we invite you to visit parkeravery.com. This is Trisha Gustin, Senior Director of Marketing at the Parker Avery Group. In this episode of Talk Retail to Me, we are discussing integrated business planning and how Parker Avery approaches this strategic capability that many retailers and consumer brands struggle to effectively grasp because of the traditionally highly siloed nature of planning. This episode features Sam Iosevich, Parker Avery's Chief Analytics Officer, and Steve Gordon, our Chief Customer Officer. Both Sam and Steve have deep experience with aligning organizations' planning processes around a unified demand signal. Also joining the conversation is retail veteran and principal Marty Anderson, who lends an industry-backed perspective from his experience implementing integrated business planning at Belk. The trio of experts outlines changes and challenges companies experience as they attempt to migrate towards more collaborative IBP and how Parker Avery's enterprise demand intelligence solution not only easily integrates into our clients' existing planning systems, but provides data at levels and measurements appropriate to be used by each functional area. We hope you enjoy this episode of Talk Retail to Me. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. Looking forward to diving into integrated business planning. All right. Absolutely. So, yeah, Tricia, we've batted around this whole concept of IBP, integrated business planning. And, you know, at its, at its highest level, it, it really is a simple concept. And that simple concept is aligning demand need with a supply response. Now, in the context of some of the more focused IBP capabilities out there, there are many steps in that process. And it's part of an SNOP broader framework. But again, simplest form, aligning demand need with a supply response. And as you dig down a little bit deeper, what does that really mean? It means you identify demand potential by looking out in the marketplace. You look at what's happening at a brick and mortar store, but also looking more broadly around the general market area Uh, within that. You look and you shape demand. You understand the components of demand. You disaggregate that demand down into its parts and you understand what's driving that demand from a marketing perspective, what's driving that demand from a pricing perspective, what's driving that demand from a promotional perspective, and there are many other elements. Once that is done, most organizations sit down across a table and they have a dialogue and they align on, okay, we have this demand out there. This is what we see as the potential. Now, let's understand, does this demand that we're seeing out there align with our strategy and our readiness to execute against it? 
And then we go across into the supply side and we start to ask the deeper level questions. Do we have the right level of investment to bring in this level of inventory, this type of product and to bring it through the DCs and into the stores? You understand the broader supply needs and all the constraints around, especially with this whole thing with COVID, it's huge. Where the impacts on the supply chain have had massive disruptions. And then you bring it back up and around. Once you execute all of that, and you align the demand need and the supply response, and you look at where and how you're going to execute the those types of capabilities to bring that product to market. Are you executing to the demand targets? Are you executing to the revenue targets? Do you have the proper investment? Are you looking at all the risks and the rewards, the gives and the takes? Then you bring it back around. That's the integrated business planning process within the context of SNOP. I'd also like to add that I, I think that IBP is really an evolution of the sales and operation planning process. So with sales and operation planning, the idea was to align all of the functional areas around a demand signal, but it's very serial in nature. So what happens is you start with a demand forecast and then you move towards so you align around the, the, that forecast and you go into finance, supply chain and so on. And everything ends up at a leadership level at the end of the month where you're going to align in certain goals and, and the plan and so on. And the process starts again the following uh, month, very serial in nature. With integrated business planning, at least the way that we view integrated business planning at Parker Avery, it is a continuous collaboration between those functional areas. So we have a demand signal that is in the metric of choice for that functional area. So that could be, that's units, dollars, margin, whatever it may be. It's automatically translated into that KPI. Right? So they can view that. So as you make changes to that demand signal, then that's visible to the rest of the organization. So that's a continuous collaboration. So some of what you're achieving by aligning around a demand and SNOP process, we believe you go a step further by actually having a continuous collaboration instead of having a serial monthly process. And, and Sam, that's a key call out, I think. In, you know, as we talk to our customers, one of the biggest concerns that they have is that even with some of the best business processes in place, those decisions are highly siloed within their functional areas. So as one part of the organization is making decisions on the things that they've been called to action to manage, they have accountability and responsibility and they're laser focused on that. The fact of the matter is those decisions may negatively impact the folks upstream and downstream to them. So what you're describing is the ability to remove some of those silos to where that type of collaboration is happening more in real time. And the gives and the takes are seamlessly available to all the constituents in that process. We talk about the unified demand signal and that it's supposed to be consumed across different functional areas and everybody's working off the same hymnal, that type of thing. Can you really get down to basics? Absolutely. So, so first of all, we always start with the unit demand. I don't think uh, a customer walks into the store and looks for $80 worth of kitchen towels. A customer walks into the store with a particular need for a particular product. And, and so there's a demand for that product. There's an intrinsic uh, demand for that product. But to give you an example of how this works in, in the real environment, what will typically happen is 
an organization will have goals, you know, it could be a three or five year goal to grow the business by a certain amount, you know, in, in revenue and so on. Now that's, that's fine. So you have this three to five year goal, this long range plan and the demand plan certainly informs that plan. And all of a sudden you then also have a unit view of that. Right. And then you start to look at, well, what does that mean across all of the different functional areas? And you may start to look and find that, well, wait a second, I don't have the DC capacity for this. And then that's just, just one example from an operational standpoint, you know, I may have uh, certain blockers on, on the transportation side, the human resources side and, and so on. What you really start to understand is based on the goals that I have and what do I want to achieve? Are there any blockers to getting to those goals and understanding exactly where those are and understanding what investments need to be made to achieve those goals? And I think, Trisha, I'm, I'm going to jump in as, as kind of the layman. I, I've spent more of my career sitting on the other side of the table involved in some of these meetings. And I think there's a lot to unpack in what Steve and Sam have kind of thrown out on the table. I think the way Steve defined it was very on target about, you know, kind of connecting that supply and demand and the typical difficulty that companies have had is absolutely what he said. It's in those typically siloed groups making decisions because they see themselves differently. And one of the biggest barriers is that, like Sam was trying to call out, the KPIs that they're most focused on and the and the different cross-functional components of that supply chain, um, which can start, you know, in financial strategy making, or it could be in merchandising, planning and and buying. It could, you know, be in product development. And then it gets down into logistics and, and really trying to understand how to receive those. Not only are the KPIs that they're typically focused on at the individual time they're doing their jobs, their timeframes are also potentially very different. Um, if I'm in, in merchandising or a strategic, I'm thinking 18 months out, maybe, you know, six months out, nine, tw- some, some companies 24 months out. And I'm trying to decide what's next and how I plan that, how I buy that, where that demand is going. I may come up with new product lines that I'm going to purchase on. And then, you know, when you're getting into and what we would typically think of supply chain or logistics, really, and understanding that they're much closer in, or if you're looking at store operations, it's much closer in because it's kind of on that execution side. And so they may only be looking out a few weeks to a few months out in front of themselves um, and store operations even closer in probably their staffing models. They're trying to run those stores. So being able to translate that. And I think I, I wrote down something Steve said, which I think is really poignant. And I think it, it ties back to what Parker Avery does as a total to this. And he said, they sit down across, around the table and try and figure this out. And I, I just would w- remind anyone trying to really build a successful IBP approach is that it's not just about one thing. It's not just about the signal. It's not just about the KPI. It is also about the people in the processes as well. And that companies that do this well, and I, I was fortunate enough to be a part of one of those that really overhauled kind of how we work together and it started really having some gravitas and some traction, those monthly meetings, we think about them as like whether it's an open to buy meeting or it's a monthly budgeting meeting and you're looking out one to three months, that seems really helpful to those logistics and the supply chain component of that. But what's really moving is having those strategy meetings and including them in the upfront strategy, which I think is kind of where Sam was kind of leading to. Um, If I come in and say, hey, I think there's a big opportunity in Christmas trees, you know, and I think we should buy those. And we've never sold those before. Having someone in logistics sitting there saying, um, they're really big. 
Are they conveyable? Are they going to be in-store only? Or are we going to be expected to ship those? Do we know the shipping cost? Is it even profitable to ship those things? Do we have the capacity to move things like that? Having those dialogues on the front before you get so far down line the committed and they're sitting on a truck and we're like, we don't know what to do with these things, you know, or to Sam's point, that capacity is gone. And I think that's the discipline that is hard for companies to kind of get their mind around is that it's including everyone up and down the line. But even from the strategic phase, which is not as typical, people think as long as we're executing and we're aligned on the execution, we're going to be good. It's really needs to be backed up a little bit further than that if you really want to get that well oiled and, and move everybody at the same time. Okay. So, so Marty, there's there's a couple of things that you touched upon that I wanted to expand upon. One was the different time horizons, right? So if you're talking about an open to buy process, you're looking only 12 weeks or three months, three months out. And if you're looking at pre-season, you're looking at 18 months out. And, uh, you know, it's different for assortment planning is, you know, go 52 weeks out or what have you. So these are all so the, uh, different signals with different time horizons. That's why I think it's extremely important, at least from a demand signal standpoint, to have something stable that can actually work across, across time. But Marty, I wanted you to touch upon uh, the, the change piece to this. So having gone through through this process where you've, you've really gotten into an integrated business planning approach, there's obviously a significant amount of change that happens in an organization. So how do you deal with that? One person at a time <laughs> and, 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 from the, and, the, and from the top down. I mean, I think a lot of things have to line up. One, your leadership in your organization have to be clear and aligned that they want this to happen, right? They want everybody working together and that their expectation has changed, whether that's the CEO, the CIO, your head of distribution, head of marketing, head of planning, all of those people have to be aligned that, no, no, we're going to make a collaborative effort to work together and we're going to pass that message down. And our people are going to understand that too, that they are expected to understand what each other does. And and then you're going to move into education. I think as you move down, like you were saying, we work on different timeframes and we work on different metrics and, and how we how we move those through and, and translate those is really important. Um, for instance, if I'm in finance or I'm in, in financial planning, even I'm more interested, I'm, I'm looking at dollar budgets, you know, how many sales dollars, what's the revenue, what's the margin that I'm going to pick up as I'm passing that down into buying and I want to create my assortment plan that has to be translated into units for me because I have to buy real products and I have to understand how many are going to fit in the store and, and what those AURs and cost relationships need to be. And so I have to get down into the weeds there. But then after I purchase that and I pass that down, fulfillment they don't work in units or even in prepacks. They're going to work in cartons. Okay, well, what does that translate into cartons? And how many cartons can I translate through the DC at a given day? What's the capacity? What's my yard space? How many people can I supply? What's the size of those cartons? How, how can they be conveyable? And then you get into operations in, say, a store, and they want to understand, okay, how many cartons am I receiving? What do I have to put out on the door? Or how many sales am I expected to transact? And it's transactions through the register. So how many people do I need to schedule for those days? And so it's about that translation of that strategy to make sure that everything gets worked down. And even just having some simple education and meeting sessions with those people in a cross-functional manner to kind of teach each other that end-to-end -end process so that they even have visibility to what the other person is looking for from them goes a long way because... As Steve pointed out earlier, they're, they're so used to kind of just focus on what they have to do because they have a very distinct expectation or set of expectations that they have to accomplish that sometimes they, they silo their mind and 
if I'm in buying, I may not even think about what the store people have to do or even what logistics has to do. So that awareness, also one of the things that we did in particular on, on the open to buy, because you mentioned that and the strategy meetings, we made sure that all of those people were in the room and we even produced kind of a report. I, I actually was in charge of it, so I was very familiar with it, where the week leading into that meeting, I would reach out to each one of those heads of those people and kind of get the topics. What were their pain points for that month? What were their strategies to targeting those? What things did they want to get discussed in that meeting? And pull those together ahead of time and distribute it so that when you get into those meetings, each one of those cross-functional areas kind of has a perspective and a point of view or at least a talking point. And then all of a sudden, it got to be this is just what we do. This is just kind of how we operate. We're going to, if I'm going into this open to buy meeting, it's not just me talking to finance or talking to the CFO. I'm also talking to the person who's in charge of supply chain or logistics and understanding what their concerns are. Because sometimes they would say, hey, I'm looking out at holiday. We have more receipts planned that I'm seeing in this open to buy than I have space to even have trucks in the yard. Is there a way that we could spread out those deliveries a little smoother so that we don't have to pay rent on those trailers and take our costs up and, and get into that? And so that goes all the way back to the planners and the buyers to say, OK, I've got to talk to my vendors. I got to see if I can move around those ship dates a little bit and, and smooth out that receiving because my logistics team is telling me we're going to either run into constraints in capacity and we're not going to actually get it to the stores on time and or we're going to pay so much extra in either overtime or rent on trailers that it's going to eat into my margins and I'm really not going to make the what I expected to do. So I think opening the education of that, but it starts at the top and then you work your way down with those education sessions and then you build it into your operation process so that everybody is in the boat at the same time, having the right conversations at the time they need to be had. You know what the, as you're talking, Marty, that I find interesting is you know, not only are aspects of that discussion highly siloed, you know, certainly when you're sitting across the table, you're having collaboration. But when you're in the moment and you're looking, you're deep in the weeds, those capabilities in and how decisions are being made, you know, we've always we've already stated that it's highly siloed. But what I also find incredible and it is systemic is that just in the planning function alone, so you think about strategic planning, the long-range planning, the annual or operating planning, and then you think about where you are in a pre-season, in-season financial planning and the open-to-buy component as you start to sell the product and you're, you're gauging what you can write for additional orders on the open-to-buy. Uh, you bring that down into the location and the assortment and you decide what product, you know, what is the breadth and depth of that assortment? And you pass that up into the buying and then you bring it to the fulfillment and you're going through and deciding the size and the pack and the allocation and replenishment all the way through to how is it that that product actually manifests itself operationally at the store level. And there's so many other steps. The fact is is that there are discrete systems that manage each and every one of these functions. And those discrete systems aren't necessarily leveraging the same data. They have a different lens, a different perspective, a different expectation of what that true demand potential is and how they're reacting to it. 
And how do you sit across the table in that type of discussion when the foundational facts aren't necessarily the same? I, I, as, as you were talking, I'm just sitting and saying, wow, how do they do that? Yeah, I think that's where, you know, you have to have those connected KPIs that are translated. I think, like Sam was saying, where our philosophy around an enterprise demand signal goes a long way. If everyone's using that baseline, I, I think it makes a big difference because at to your point, it can be connected. It can be translated. If that's fed into my planning system or my assortment system and I, and I understand like, this is my projected demand and I'm going to make planning decisions based on that demand. And then when that travels downstream and, and someone's doing an allocation and they're using that same perspective or that same science approach to that demand, it naturally is going to tie a little bit closer. And then, of course, when those things get translated and that plan gets translated to your um, logistics team or your store operations team, I, I think it's going to stay more connected. But you have to make a, a conscious choice, I think, to to connect those dots from system to system, as you're pointing, because you're right. They, they are very different solutions, a lot of point solutions that have to be consciously translated and connected in other ways. And an enterprise demand signal is a great way to connect them. Yeah, that, that getting to common, that unification. And we've been building this out for years in the way in which we could get organizations to talk with the same facts, talk with the same perspective. Yes, they're dealing at different levels of granularity. And yes, they're driving to a different end. But to get everybody to common, to get everybody looking at in acting on the same demand potential and the same constraints and the same risks, albeit at different levels of the organization, I, I think it's foundational. And then Sam, with what you described at the beginning, and that is to be able to translate on the fly. And that's sometimes a little bit more difficult than a simple translation where it's, whereas, you know, things like AUR are going to vary by time. There's a seasonal component to it. I mean, the example that I like to give is around electronics, where, you know, if you look at uh, consoles, game consoles, uh, and a lot of them sell towards the end of the year. And during, you know, the rest of the year, you, you tend to sell a lot of just, just the games themselves, $44.99, $39.99, and so on. So if you look at a particular subclass or subcategory of, of products, that AUR varies uh, drastically throughout the year. And also there is, there are other components to it. Uh, you know, there's some macroeconomic components to, to all of that as, as well, but that's, and of course there are other translators and, and, and so on. So you, so you have to put in the effort to, to, to get all of that done. But once you do, you truly then have a one unified approach, uh, across the organization. There's one more thing though, that I wanted to touch on was, you know, we talked about all of these, uh, different systems that consume the demand signal. Most of the time, you really don't have to do much to those systems. So one thing I want to get across is if you put an IDP process in place, a truly integrated business planning process in place with constant collaboration, it does not mean that you have to rip and replace your replenishment system, your planning system, uh, and, and so on. Since we're talking about systems, explain how Parker Avery's enterprise demand intelligence supports this entire thing. Explain how that, that would work going from one of these siloed companies to where you all are talking about, where everyone's collaborating, people are sitting across the table, they're all singing from the same signal. 
How do you get to Nirvana? And I think Marty is the best person to, to uh, probably touch upon that. But I wanted to, to say that just, just before, before we get to Marty, that just because you have a signal, if it's not consumed by some of these systems that we talk about, like replenishment or, or planning fulfillment, a signal for signals, a demand signal for demand signal sake is worthless. Sam, I think maybe the best, the best way to describe this is start with the hypercube concept and, and how that hypercube concept is vastly different than these discrete models that exist today. Well, the, the discrete models, I think we, we, we all know which, what you have is that every functional area will have its own demand signal. And, and the way that's justified is, well, they're looking at different uh, level of the hierarchy. They're looking at different time horizons. And, and then the KPI or the, or the metric is, is different. And what, what strikes me is sometimes you'll have a functional area and then there will be multiple demand signals. And, and at that point, you can still have a collaborative process, but it's very serial in nature, right? So you really, the best that you can do at that point is have a process by which you have your demand signal, it goes to the next area, they'll update that in some way, and then it and, you know, kind of goes around and, and makes its way all the way to the executive committee, and you start over next month, which again is a step up from what we've typically seen, but it's not, it's not uh, the best that, that you can have. Yeah, I think to break that down, I, in my past, like before, I think the unified demand signal, we, we would have different forecasts, right? Depending on what you're doing. If you're doing planning, a strategic plan, you might have a forecast that's three years out. And maybe it only goes down to family of business, sometimes maybe at a department level. When I'm actually doing my financial plan, um, for my buy plan, I'm, I'm probably going to need to at least get down to subclass or or class level in that plan and break that out. And I've got to have monthly or weekly numbers, you know, so that I understand how I need to buy that, where my pricing needs to be, where marketing is going to fill in, where those demand shifts are going to happen, and holidays and things like that. Um, and so that used to be a separate independent demand signal that I would develop. And then when I get into like allocating those goods when I came in, you know, because some things were once and done, or they might have a couple of flows. I couldn't go down to style level because there wouldn't be enough history, but I was probably developing a forecast at, say, subclass location, you know, so that I would have enough of a signal to do that. And that was another independent forecast that someone in those roles were developing or, you know, statistically was being developed, but it was a, another one that had to be managed. If I were in replenishment, I might have a, a subset of SKUs that I carry all the time that I would be developing an, an additional signal that's at SKU store and it's by week or because I'm going to be ordering, you know, every other week on it and generating that. And then of course, as you're getting out into say operations and store planning, a lot of those store groups would have an independent demand signal where they're just trying to understand what's the real demand coming into their store every week. What are they really going to sell regardless of where the plan is? What are they really going to sell? Because they have to budget hours against that and they have a limited plan of hours that they have to live within, but they need to understand how to break that down. And there's another independent signal. I think what Sam's really talking to and, and what we've really tried hard to develop well and have successfully developed is this enterprise signal that finds the best level or the most accurate level to develop that demand and then using machine learning science and 
all of the data associated with your styles and SKUs and locations and all the pieces of that hypercube, as, as Steve was talking about, to disaggregate that and make sure that you have a functional signal at every level and every permutation within the organization at all times. So there's only one major signal that you really are managing or, or having managed for you. And then you just have to pull from it at the level that you need consumption. So if I'm in strategy, I can still pull from that signal at that three-year family of business level. Um, But I know that it's connected to all those items and all the pieces below it. Um, If I'm in merchandising or or buying and planning, um, I can still pull from that at subclass level or at style level or at week or month level. And in in the current 12-month view, and know that it's still part of the signal that was used for strategy. If I'm in location, I can still see close in, if I want to just see for this month what that weekly or daily number is by my store, because I'm trying to plan hours, I can pull that forecast and know that it's still tied and rolls up to all the numbers that everyone above me up in those merchandising planning or finance was looking at and that it's still tied to something. And I think that's the magic that may not be apparent to someone just listening is that there's really one signal that exists and it's disaggregated to all those lower levels and everybody's using it. They're just using it at different grains and different time frames. but because it's unified, it stays reconciled. And so as a company guidance, we're still all working off of the same science and the same trajectory, if that makes sense. It does, Marty. When you're saying within the different organizations and at different levels within those organizations, they're pulling from the system. It's my understanding that they can consume it within existing systems, That's right. correct? Yes. Yes. That they can tap into that and pull that level of data that they need into their existing solutions for visibility and action. Absolutely. How do we make that happen? Well, we would produce that integration or that that file format in, in whatever format that is needed for consumption in that particular solution. So we would work with their teams and their IT teams to understand what's the file format that's needed, what, what structure does that data need to be in to be consumed. To Sam's point, is there a translation that needs to happen to a different KPI set? Do I need to group those units by cartons or, you know, do I need to change them into people hours or whatever, but we can take that signal. We would work with them to understand the requirements if there's a translation that needs to happen to a different KPI and then structure the output file as is defined by the client so that it can be fed directly into whatever consuming system that is. What are the biggest challenges you see besides, I guess it's, you know, it's an organizational change because when people are used to working in their own silos and they're used to performing their own demand planning. And suddenly we're saying it's going to be one signal and you, you got to get used to it. What are the challenges and how have you overcome them? I mean, from a change perspective, I, I think a lot of it has to do with education, kind of like I was saying before. Certainly people in different roles, some, some roles are more used to using statistical forecast components than others. They may or may not understand why this approach is better or, and, and or different than what they've had in the past or used. I think making sure everybody has a working knowledge of where the system comes, where the signal's coming from, what's the math being used, what's, what's the science behind it. If it's a translated 
KPIs I was talking about, understanding what's the translator and who owns the translation component. As the example I was using earlier, like if I'm translating that unit into cartons or whatever, you would need a carton translator. How many for this product type? So many units equals a carton kind of thing. And, you know, maybe the logistics team owns that translation to understand that. And so I think making sure that everybody across that delivery model has been educated and understands where it's coming from, why they should trust it, and why there's value in it is really critical for adoption and long-term sustainment because then everybody's kind of into the conversation. They understand how that river flows downhill or, you know, uphill, and they know where everything's coming from and what their place is in that stream. I was going to say adoption is a big part of this. So uh, you shouldn't expect everyone to adopt the new approach right away. The thing that I have seen is folks will say, well, you know, I, I can't use this for 10, 10 different reasons. One, it's not, it's not accurate or it's less accurate and so on. And you really have to give it some time to show them, well, okay, it is more accurate. It's driving the following value. Uh, yes, there's an input to this. No, you shouldn't be scared of this approach. It is going to make your job, you know, easier. Um, you are going to be able to drive more, uh, more ROI, but that just doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. And to this end, you know, we've realized this, that there's obviously there's always some skepticism that this singular capability could actually solve a broad range of business needs. And there's nothing like proof. Right. So baked into our methodology is is a pilot process where there's definitive proof that's put on the table, you know, for a slice of the business where we showcase the value of our demand signal and that it is it's an improved wiper MAPE, uh, stability bias, whatever the key metrics are. Um, we'll serve that up and have that discussion. And then we start to gain trust. And, and Sam, correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, that's six to eight weeks in our process where we can start to show demonstrable improvement over the forecast that they have. And then there's, you know, as we pass certain gates in that process, then we go into a production rollout. All right. But it's, it's low risk. Let's prove it. Let's make sure that what we're telling you makes sense for your business and there's nothing like proof. And that's our process. The, the, well, that's a good point. And, and regardless of who, who, who does this, I, that, my recommendation would be uh, break this up into consumable chunks, right? Yes. Right. So within, for us, within the first six weeks, you, you do see a, a demand signal and it improves over time. But regardless of you know, who's doing and how it, it's, you should break this up into, like I said, consumable chunks with, with the wins along, along the way. Right. Test and learn and be able to pilot. We actually have a current client that we're working with right now, which I think is a great example of this, where, you know, we're building out a long-term forecast that's, you know, really good. And we've been working really successfully with their financial. And then the store planning team comes in. It was like, you know, they were having to pull things on their own from market data to understand, you know, long-term trends and how stores should be planned from a capacity by product category. Um, and, and that's a big deal because you can't change the store configurations every year, right? And so they have to understand across many years what the trajectories are looking like and different products need different amounts of space. And they found out that, hey, oh, you have a, a signal that, that not only is by location, but also includes product and you like it. And 
it wasn't sent and then immediately dictated to them, like, here, this is what you're going to use. It was, why don't you look at it and try it and see if it cuts any time off of the process that you were doing? They were spending at least 30 days just pulling in and developing their own kind of signal, whereas we could hand them one that's already done out that long, and they could just look at it and do their analysis. So they could have cut a month off of their workload and, the, and their time process and move straight into action and straight into decision-making and strategy, right? And so that's a great example. And it wasn't forced on them. They weren't required to use it, but they were very excited to see it because of the perceived opportunity of cutting a month of work out of their schedule, right? And they could focus on more profit-generating ideas and, and activities. So it, it's that kind of test and learn. And I think coming out of they might have some things to throw back and say, hey, here's where it worked really well, here's where it didn't, and then it gives us insight into how to tune that better and differently for them and their specific use case. But it was really positive. Yeah, and I think just adding to that, um, Marty, is many of the organizations we work with have phenomenal analytics. They have huge teams of, of statisticians and real some real incredible thought leaders, but they don't necessarily have all the answers. And in some of these organizations, we're, we're highly collaborative in the process. We work with what they have. It's never about throw out what you have and we'll replace it all. It, there's, there's a precision focus on aspects of their current solve where we can augment. And that's the other thing is our process is never about rip and replace. Only rip and replace if the end solution isn't going to meet your needs in the present and long term. It's all about augmenting. It's about making what you've already invested in much more intelligent than it otherwise could be and connected. Great. That's fantastic. I think that's a perfect way to end the podcast. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me this afternoon. It has been, as always, a wealth of information and knowledge, and I hope our listeners gain a lot from it and understand how they can get to a really more collaborative and efficient integrated business planning organization. Thank you again. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Trisha. Trisha, thank you. And that's a wrap for this episode of Talk Retail to Me. We hope you enjoyed the content and the conversation. If you have any questions about the discussion, please visit our website at parkeravery.com. We also would love to meet you at NRF's Big Show this coming January. Be sure to stop by booth number 1400 on the first floor to meet our leadership team. You can also contact us to set up a private meeting where we can demonstrate Parker Avery's Enterprise Demand Intelligence Platform and outline how our suite of consulting services can address your planning and other retail challenges. If you enjoyed our Talk Retail to Me podcast, we'd love it if you subscribed and shared it with any colleagues who may also be interested. We invite you to follow the Parker Avery Group on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook so you get our latest experience-backed industry thought leadership. Thank you and have a great day.